Welcome to the ACO Show. For this episode, Joe and Josh spoke with Chris Haney, who is the Chief Information Security Officer at Allidade. They discussed information security risk, hacking, and phishing in business and in healthcare. Let's jump right in. I'm Josh Israel, a Medical Director at Allidade. And I'm Joe Schunkweiler. I'm a Vice President of Adoption and Training here at Allidade. And we're very pleased today to have Chris Haney, the Chief Information Security Officer at Allidade. Chris, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Uh, I think it's a good place to start at what exactly is a Chief Information Security Officer? Sure. Uh, a Chief Information Security Officer uh, is a pretty common title these days uh, for companies that uh, are data-driven and have, uh, you know, protecting data is a big part of, of a, running a successful company. Um the the position has been around probably for uh, ten to fifteen years. More common today than it has been in the past. Um, and I think for a small company like Allidade, um, you know, fairly uncommon to to centralize kind of that responsibility for making sure the data is safe uh, in one position. And that's really the intent of that position. What are some of the risks that you're you're out there trying to prevent? Well, uh, you know, we think about risks really in terms of, of the actors, right? And so we think we kind of break up the world into a set of actors and, and because the reality is uh, it's a human landscape. And so the human actors that we're worried about, um, we're always worried about our internal users who by default have access to data and uh, they make mistakes. We're all humans and uh, there's no motive, right? It's just simply that I have access to data in my day-to-day job, and I make a mistake, and, and data is exposed. And that's particularly true in healthcare, where a lot of people do have access to da- uh, sensitive data, regulated data. So that's always a concern. Um, and then we're also equally concerned, and it's always more uh, interesting to talk about the external threats. And those are people that are trying to usually steal data for some purpose or another. And in, in the vast majority of cases, it's about monetary gain. They want to steal data. Uh, or they, they, they want to make money. Uh, their motive uh, is, is uh, basically this is the way they make their living, right? Uh, attacking companies, stealing data, uh, holding that data for ransom. So those things are always a concern. Do you have a sense of um, where those attacks come from? And by that, I mean, is it organizations? Is it individuals? I think we have a lot of um, media-driven views of, you know, the hacker in the dark basement or, you know, a foreign uh, mafia organization. Like, is any of that accurate? You're going with the 300-pound man on his bed? (laughs) I was trying not. (laughs) The guy in New Jersey, that's the, you know, I think that's what came up in the presidential debates. Well, we, we, uh, again, we kind of think about them in in broad swaths. And so I think there's always the the meme of of a 15-year-old kid uh, who's, been working with computers for a while, and, and, and that's one kind of unsophisticated attacker, uh, probably a small percentage overall. The organized crime element is a much larger percentage of that. So again, organized crime from around the world trying to monetize uh, data theft. And then there are, of course, state-sponsored or, or uh, you know governments. But again, motive is different there. Motive there is about strategic advantage, uh, stealing data for strategic advantage. So again, in our case, 
um, you know, generally speaking in healthcare, that is not a vector that you're particularly worried about. Although it's interesting in something like Anthem, which you guys may remember a big attack where many, many records were breached at Anthem, it was predicted that possibly one of the motives there was state-sponsored to get information on foreign nationals. So, you know, that's an interesting kind of crossover. But uh, again, when I think about Alidate specifically, that tends to be a less worrisome threat, uh, probably less likely, more, more than uh, something like organized crime. If you think about a country trying to do that, is that just such a, a mismatch in, in resources brought to bear on it? You know, could a, a company fight off a, you know, a state actor? Pretty much no, right? It, it's very asymmetric. And, and uh, again, one of the things when you think about protecting against organized crime and you, I know some of the stats that I'll talk about today are from the Verizon data breach report. And uh, one of the things you see there is that with organized crime, it's really about broad, how many people can I attack? What's the easiest target? Uh, and kind of smash and grab, right? Where the state-sponsored attack is going to be very different, which is well-resourced, patience, uh, very targeted. And whenever you kind of come up against that kind of threat, uh, really very few organizations, particularly small private organizations, can, can um, you know, functionally uh, protect against that. What I've found interesting in my own experience with this is um, you have to think about it as a volume play on the part of the scammer, right? So they send out the broadest possible net they can, and if the value is high enough to them for each individual scam, then it's totally worth it. And now the marginal cost for sending out a million emails is zero. Exactly. And, yeah. you know, I, one example that I've had personally is my, my wife and I were waiting for a letter back from the IRS, and we got one of those calls that you're in breach of the IRS. And we... I'd like to think smart people, at least educated, <laughs> uh, freaked out because we were waiting for news from the IRS. And then we took a deep breath and we're like, well, that's absurd. They wouldn't leave me a voicemail with an accent. <laughs> you know, like right. they would, you know, it would be a letter. Uh, but it really was illustrative of that. And they only need to catch a few people to make yep. it worth the time because it's cheap. Right. Well, you know, fear is always uh, th the number one thing in social engineering is like, uh, prey on people's concern or fear and it gets that emotional response mm -hmm. and that's that's what gets action right but but again i think what's interesting maybe for any of like the doctor's offices uh, or practices that are listening i think a big uh, part of protecting yourself in that in that world where it's the the threat is um broadly dispersed they're trying to go after as many as possible um you just don't want to be the easiest target, right? So it's kind of like, you know, the military mantra, which is, you know, how do you get away from a bear chasing? You just be a little faster than the slowest guy. And that's, I think, very true often in security. Just don't be an easy target mm. because in that, uh, that's what these criminals are looking for, the easiest possible target. And so that means small hygiene things, right? It means, uh, even though we all know it, not to reuse your same password across 15 or 500 sites that you in fact have a system in place that allows you to do that and and the reality is it's hard for people to do that if they're not using some kind of a tool uh so hygiene you know this basic hygiene is and and oftentimes in in the healthcare field a lot of people are not doing that it's a very low bar 
Companies generally don't provide their employees with password manager programs. Seems like they ought to. It's an interesting point. Uh, I don't know why. Uh, I certainly advocate for use of, the, of password managers because I think that particular problem is so hard for humans to solve. And once you start using a password manager, you realize how many sites you actually have credentials for. And it's, again, over 100 easily. And no human probably is going to remember complicated uh, passwords for that many sites. So yeah, I, I strongly advocate for it. And uh, you're right that companies, for some reason, there seems to be a reluctance to maybe advocate for one particular one, but they probably should. I was just thinking about what you said about how people fall prey to this, both fear and also being in a hurry. Yeah. Uh, my experience here, I came very close to being fished, where I, I got an email from our CEO, and it was a request, and uh, it said, Joshua, here's what I need. And had I thought about it for really a millisecond, no one here calls me Joshua. Everyone calls me Josh. But the CEO writes you, and you want to respond as quickly as possible. And you're always in a hurry. You know, I'm always moving fast from one place to another trying to catch up. Um, but I, I didn't quite understand the request, so I wrote him back for a clarification. And he said, you're, you're being fished. And I felt like, wow, that was such a close call. But even now, it's hard to derive a lesson from that because it's still hard to slow down enough mm -hmm. to really read every email as if it's a risk. Yeah. Well, you know, they, some of the statistics point out that you're much more likely on a mobile device to, to the, those, those attacks are more successful on mobile devices. And there's probably many reasons, but one is just the form factor, right? So it's the form factor's tighter. Uh, for instance, it might be very easy for you to look, the display name versus the actual email address might be very trivial to do on your PC, but then on your mobile, although it's possible, it's not a, a pattern that you're used to, right? So, um, I think that plays into it as well. A lot of times mobile, you might be mobile, you're on the go. Um, so I think that's kind of an interesting uh, kind of emerging uh, theme as well. Interestingly, Malcolm Gladwell in his most recent book, uh, Talking to Strangers, talks about uh, default to truth, you know, that we assume that the email is from our CEO or our mother or you know a relative overseas <laughs> you know who who's in jail that remember that one uh that the um and the default to truth allows us to interact with each other and if you are constantly there are people who are not just contrarian but constantly on the lookout and they tend not to be super happy. Well, right. they're they're locked up somewhere, you know, with a bunch of guns waiting for the government to kick their door down. But they're the same. You know, the, one of the stories that Gladwell used, and I definitely recommend this book, is the investigator, the financial investigator, that found uh, Bernie Madoff years before anyone else did because he couldn't replicate his results in any modeling that he did. And the guy it was a, a genius, but you know, he makes the point, lives a really, he never defaults to truth, sees scammers everywhere, and was literally locked in his house waiting for the, the government to come take him down. Yeah, I mean, it's a good point. It becomes kind of abnormal at some point, right, right. if you live your life that way. So it is a challenge, I think, and I, I think uh, in this role particularly, you're asking people essentially to do exactly that, to be cautious and to think about, um, to think in that way. And and uh, yeah, I don't think it's the normal, normal pattern. You may have heard of an air gap system, and so one of the things that people talk about is saying, okay, if you don't want the, the world to attack you, you don't 
put your system on the internet, mm-hmm. right? Put it in a room, lock the door, and uh, you've significantly changed the ability to attack that system. And there's been several cases like this where uh, states have been able to successfully attack that system anyway. Right, they scatter USB drives around the parking lot and right. people pick them up and feel lucky yeah. and stick it in yeah. <laughs> into the, into the <laughs> yeah. nuclear reactor. Again, back to people, right? Usually, you know, uh, and, and that, that breach report does talk about, you know, people are one of the most frequently attacked. Uh, it's, it's the softest target, mm-hmm. right? Chris, you said that the, the uh, information security officer position is rel- relatively new in terms of, you know, a, a management or senior management role. To what extent do you think companies at Allidade's stage and funding profile uh, contributes to that. And by that, I mean, you know, we're at this time now where there's a lot of investment in startups and the companies are smaller. So the proximity between the CEO and somebody in my position or Josh's position is it's, we're really close to, to somebody right. like Farzad Mustashari here. Whereas, you know, in our grandparents' times, if unless you were a very senior member of the company, and pre-email, you know, if you got a letter from, if you worked at GE and you got a letter from Jack Welch, you would probably, you know, that may have been a good scam because you probably didn't get many letters from Jack Welch if you were middle management at GE, but it's unlikely to be a scam that someone else would try to pull because it was easily mm-hmm. uh, verifiable whether it was from Jack or not. So what, to what extent is the moment we're in now as a company and as a um, technology space contributing to that? These are opportun- you know, opportunistic attacks, and so, and these are human attackers, and so in those cases, uh, you know, it's not like this has been on on rails for twenty years, and people mm-hmm. know exactly the way that they're going to attack. It's something that people are looking for opportunities and then exploiting those, and so, uh, and so, if you think about it, when you think of some of the, uh, you know, we've we've faced a lot of the CEO phishing uh, emails here. Uh, you can see that the attackers are doing their research on the company, and they're not doing deep research, right? And this is back to our earlier point about state-sponsored or kind of well-funded versus maybe just someone who's kind of going broadly against many companies. Um, they go to the masthead on the website, and they mm-hmm. see who is, uh, who is the senior uh, members of this team, and that's enough research then to kind of start their attacks, right? They will they will either target those individuals or they will try to uh, spoof those individuals, uh, knowing that those are, those are people in power and that means something at, at Allidade. Uh, so that's the kind of level, you know, again, of, of sophistication. Uh, clearly, if you were a state-sponsored um, actor, you're gonna do a lot more research than that. And um, that's why it's so hard to, to, to fight. When you joined Allidade, do you expect to find unique challenges to working here, or is it more you sort of dust off the healthcare startup folder and apply that? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think every business has some set of unique challenges, but I think they're probably more similar than there are difference, right? And again, like I go back to something as simple as password hygiene, you know, that's true across, uh, it's true across companies and it's true across individuals as well in their personal lives. So there's more probably general hygiene than anything else. And you have to keep beating on the same drum because it's, uh, people don't, it's not their natural state to necessarily want to do that. Th- those, it's not the easy way. 
And uh, so a lot of it is is kind of basic, frankly. And I think it's one of the frustrating things about the breaches that get reported so often as you dig into those. It was the lack of some simple things. Uh, so that you know, if if some simple hygiene had been taken, it was a lot more unlikely that they would have been breached. Um, but human systems just it, it's it's a challenge, right? Any stories you can share about attacks that we've undergone here? Well, we've certainly, uh, again, if you read through, through a public report like the Verizon uh, breach report, you know, we have seen a lot of similarities. So CEO um, uh, scams, they call it uh, BEC, um, business email compromise scams. We see that uh, frequently where uh, you're, you're trying to get somebody in the company, you, you spoof somebody in the company and then try to get somebody to wire money uh, to you. We've seen that a lot, and I think that was one of the attacks you just spoke about earlier. Usually acting as a CEO, oftentimes we'll target finance, uh, so that's pretty common. Um, interesting, there's, there's a high rate of spoofing uh, Microsoft cloud services or uh, Amazon cloud services or Google cloud services, and trying to steal credentials and then using those credentials to steal data. Um, you know, so a lot of phishing attacks like that, which is, hey, you've been locked out of Microsoft. Click here to log in. It mm. represents a fake page that looks just like Microsoft. You put in your credentials, which are then harvested, um, and then those are used to go and look for data that's that's uh, can be monetized. Do companies at our stage typically have insurance for this now? Well... Uh, cyber insurance has become a bigger, you know, the, the marketplace continues to get larger. Um, about uh, sizes and what company sizes are, are using choosing insurance, I'm not, I can't answer that. But, uh, but in general, I'd say that market is growing. And, um, and certainly companies that do have it are getting more and more uh, coverage. Um, and, you know, it relates to some of the... Um, there's, there's a lot of vendor due diligence out in this space, right? And that means that people know that it's it's one thing if they keep their data safe kind of within their four walls, but they have many vendors that they share and rely upon to, to uh, process their data. And those are just a, those vectors are just as dangerous, right? And so the, there's this rise of kind of uh, vendor diligence, diligence programs, right, where all the program does is go out and say, okay, Josh, uh, I'm going to give you my data. Prove to me that you do all the right things to protect it. And, um, you know, that drives a lot of activity and work because it's not standardized. And so every time you go and a vendor asks you for that information, oftentimes you're going through a different form, or even though it's basically the same information. Um, so that, that certainly is a, is a challenge uh, in the space and, and uh, drives a lot of activity that may or may not drive a lot of results. Hmm. And what about the specifics for healthcare data? You know, we've seen, many of us have seen headlines about the value of, of uh, you know, the, the information that's in your EHR or in a hospital EHR right. on any of us in this room. You know, where does that value come from and what are the specifics in the healthcare arena? Yeah, uh, for for a role like yours. Well, there's definitely the intersection of the date, you know, both value from the attacker's perspective, but also the regulatory regime that protects it, right? And so you kind of have a two two fat fact, you know, faceted uh, issue where you both want to be compliant, uh, 
And if there is an issue, you have both kind of this compliance overhead as well as the real uh, impact to the users that get that get impacted. So that's certainly, it's not unique to healthcare, but it's definitely a, a, a dynamic that's front and center in healthcare. Um, and again, I think the other dynamic is that so many individuals in healthcare have access to that data. And so therefore you have a, you have a, a lot of people that if you attack them, likely have some access to that data which can be monetized. So, you know, that's another uh, interesting aspect in healthcare. Hmm. And healthcare is still using faxes. So can you talk about the, the impact of that on security? Yeah, it's interesting because the HIPAA regulations uh, state that faxing is considered, um, you know, a secure medium for transmitting data. And I think largely that is if you think back to the way that uh, you know, circuit switching versus packet switching. So you have to go back to the telecom days where when you used to pick up the telephone and made it, and I called you, that was a circuit switched connection where we had a dedicated circuit electrically between us. In the internet, uh, it doesn't work that way with, with IP, right? There's individual packets that get routed uh, across all different networks, and it's not a dedicated uh, connection. And so therefore... Because faxing is using um, telephony, that's considered circuit switched, which is considered a private connection and therefore um, considered you know, secure by, by the regulations. Uh, certainly, I think it's one problem is faxing to the wrong people. And you see that a lot in healthcare where you disclose information maybe to the wrong covered entity, but sometimes just to a random person because you'd have one digit wrong. Um, there's also the problem of like, what's the information sitting on the fax machine in any given practice or covered entity and how well is that protected? That's a whole other issue. So faxing is still prevalent in healthcare as you both probably know. The, the range of issues that could have, could arise in any of these is mind blowing. How do you assess the risk of any given breach or, or issue that might come up? Yeah, that's a very important question, and it's it's no surprise that I mentioned vendor due diligence earlier. You know, almost always in any in any security framework, the first thing they want to talk about is what, how do you think about risk? What's your program for thinking about and assessing risk? And that's important because there, you know, the the there is no bottom to the pool. There's unlimited number of attacks and risks out there, but the what people expect is rational is that you have some way to think about that uh, and address the biggest risks first. And really that's the key. And that's sometimes hard at a company to get the management team over that, which is that the goal of the security program is not to have zero risk. There's no such thing. The goal of the security program is to do make sure that you're spending your finite resources on the absolute biggest bang for your buck in terms of returns in uh, protecting, protecting yourself. I'd still love to get you to tell some lurid stories about your, your, I guess, favorite or least favorite hacking stories. Well, so many end up being around people making mistakes, right? The lost laptop. The lost laptop, yeah. and we've all read about it, right? And it's such a... Uh, Those aren't interesting. They're, they're, well, they're, they're not... Uh, there's not much drama, but I can tell you what comes in after that is a tremendous amount of drama for a company, right? And so... You know, the lens I look at it through is it doesn't matter whether 
it was in some ways companies get a free pass, right? If you say, if you can say, oh, this was Iran and China attacking us, of course we couldn't have done anything to to stop that. You know, I think in the in the world of public opinion, you get a pass. If you say, I forgot my USB stick that was unencrypted on the on the uh, metro, people are less willing to say, well, how could you not have thought of that or, or done something about that? So I think um, there is this weird, you know, weird dynamic, whereas the more sophisticated the attack is, the more latitude somehow you get to say, uh, well, we couldn't have done anything to, to protect right. that data. You know, it's a great point, actually. I mean, it's useful for me to think about in the same way that you know, somebody might think that a cross-country trip is dangerous, but you're more likely to crash, you know, two miles from your house. You just, you just acclimate to these things and don't worry about mm-hmm. the, the real close-to-home risks. Yeah, exactly. And, and so, yes, we're, we're always interested to learn about the, um, and again, it comes back to motive. So when you talk about stories, it's interesting. There's got to be, usually there's got to be some motive for something that's really interesting and nefarious. And, and normally it's not, it's the motive is finance and, uh, or, again, and that's why mistakes are interesting, because often there isn't a motive in the mistake. It's just a confluence of crazy events that lead you to this one you know, thing that happens. But certainly, um, yeah, so, so certainly some of the, uh, the email compromises, people do get tricked, um, and they're not alone. It's some, I think the stats are from like 2013 to 2018. Those, those business email compromises have been on the order of $12 billion in losses, right? So you, again, you go back and you think about it from an attacker perspective, it's like, it's a pretty simple attack, uh, but it works. And, w- and when you say losses, that's ransom generally? Uh, no, this is people literally wiring money, right? So I spoof, I say I'm the CEO, I need, I need you to send me a gift card. <laughs> Right, which we've seen. Classic, classic. So, yeah. Who doesn't? Need, what CEO doesn't need a gift card? <laughs> Happens all the time. Yeah, and people send the money, right? And um, yeah, the other the other mistakes that uh, can happen is on on home networks, right? And actually, on home networks, and also on public um, uh, public cloud networks, right? It's because because your home is on the on the internet, because the public cloud is on the internet. There, it's very easy for IT administrators to make mistakes like uh, they forget to put the firewall rule in place that makes makes a, a new service only available to their company, but now it's available to the, the whole Internet. And uh, those are patterns you see again and again. We call them misconfigurations. Uh, so you have a system that ends up on the, the public Internet that's not really supposed to be on the public Internet, and that becomes a vector for an attack. That happens a lot. These are the kind of things we see that uh, mostly it's about education. Sometimes it's about trying to prevent mistakes. But wow, I live in fear now, yeah. Chris. You've really, I thought I thought things were dangerous before, but now I'm not even going to leave this room. Yeah, I'm going air gap starting right now. Yeah, good plan. <laughs> well, Chris Haney, Chief Information Security at Allied, thanks for being here. Thank you very much. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Chris.